wants to know what he's thinking. Bright Man! Aqua lads and aqua lasses, welcome back to the Aqua Cave for the latest edition of Bright Man. My name is Johnny C, and let's see what bright idea I have today. So, championship belts are pretty much the bread and butter of professional wrestling, right? To the average viewer, it lets you know who's important, who may not be important, etc., etc. And granted, that's a very layman, Joe, Jane, off-the-street way to look at things, but I do think it holds a lot of truth. And to me, I'm somewhat fascinated by a very certain era of championship belts from a very specific organization. That being late 80s, early 90s, NWA slash WCW. I'm just going to call it WCW moving forward for the sake of ease, okay? But these championships are extremely interesting to me. And that is strange. That's a strange thing to just randomly say to someone. But I've tried to understand why over the last couple of days. And here's why I've come to this conclusion. See, my understanding of championship belts and titles was informed by the World Wrestling Federation. Now, the WWF, when I was introduced to the product, that being the 1989 Survivor Series, had a very straightforward structure to its championship belts. Now, of course, through history, research, watching other shows that happened before, I've come to understand that the WWF championship landscape was a little bit more complicated than what I assumed when I was introduced to the product. But when I came into an understanding of the WWF, it was the World Wrestling Federation Champion, the Intercontinental Championship, and the Tag Team Championship. Okay. Now, I know that the Women's Championship was probably technically maybe still active at Survivor Series. I'm not quite sure. I didn't look it up. I know that there were Women's Tag Team Championships. And more interestingly to me, the King's Crown, uh, which I have threatened in my mind to do a show on before, but I may not be able to you know, dive in and dig up enough content. But by the time Savage was at the Survivor Series 89, the King's Crown was pretty much just integrated into a part of his gimmick and not so much a championship or an item that was defended. So one day, I'm flipping through channels, waiting for Superman 2 to start on probably like ABC or CBS or some fucking station. It doesn't matter. But the TV guide told me, that Superman 2 was going to start at X time, and I was going to watch it, by God. However, when Superman 2 was supposed to come on, I was actually exposed to World Championship Wrestling for the very first time. First of all, I'm blown away. There's more wrestling? Second, I wasn't quite sure that I wasn't watching Superman 2 because Lex Luger was wrestling, and I thought for sure that they said his name was Lex Luthor. So there is some brand synergy there. But the moral of this whole gag is that by the time I would have been cognizant of both organizations existing and understanding who the baby faces were, who the heels were, just having my head wrapped around the product, these are the championships that the WCW had at their disposal. The WCW champion, the United States champion, the world's television champion, the WCW world's light heavyweight champion. Did Jim Ross just name these things? Seriously the WCW Tag Team Champions, and the WCW United States Tag Team Champions. Not to mention that they had a fucking top 10 ranking system as well. 
And I realize that all these championships weren't active on that fateful day I tuned in to watch Superman 2, but I'm just trying to simplify things and share a little personal experience. Now, these championships and the structure do make sense to me now as an adult in retrospect. It's really not that complicated. Except for the TV title. Like, I get the TV title. I really do. I understand the reason it existed. You you had to have your weekly television mean something. And having a guaranteed television title match on each taping or whatever is seems like a good hook, and it makes a whole lot of sense, to be honest with you. I do think that Raw and SmackDown could benefit. Damn it, I didn't think I was going to get in this tangent, but here I am. Why not just make Roman Reigns the champion of the entire WWE? One giant fucking belt. And then have the Raw and SmackDown's women champions do a unification match, and whoever wins is the WWE Women's Champion. Pure, simple, that's it. And then, you take the United States Championship, you make it the Raw Championship. You take the Intercontinental Championship, you make it the SmackDown Championship, and you uh, do the same thing with the tags. You have one, so I guess would be the Usos right now, you make them the WWE Tag Team Champions, and then Raw has one, and then SmackDown has one as well. Or maybe not with the tags. No, Ah, fuck, I don't know, it's falling apart here at the tag teams. But then, you've made it so, I don't know, Seth Rollins is the Raw champion, and fucking Drew McIntyre is the SmackDown champion, and you know that your champion's gonna be there every week, they'll defend their title, and, you know, eventually maybe cash it in for a number one contender. I don't fucking know, I'm not a booker, maybe I should have fucking not gotten into this tangent, but I did, it's over, it's history, it's on the books. Later, however... Back to the point of this fucking show, I would learn of another WCW championship. And when I learned of this championship, folks, I don't mind telling you, it became huge in my little kid world. Because it allowed me to make crazy championship matchups and crazy tag teams when I played with my wrestling toys. Because I had a shit ton of belts, and these were these new, this new championship I discovered made for all sorts of crazy configurations that I could come up with. Ladies and gentlemen... It is the WCW Six-Man Tag Team Championship of the World. So today, we are going to relive the entire life of the WCW Six-Man Tag Team Championship. We're going to look at four matches, all from 1991. The belts were first awarded on February 17, 1991. Unfortunately, this was a house show encounter that I guess has been lost to history because I can't find it anywhere. During this house show, the Junkyard Dog, one half of the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, and former NWA champion for one week, Wildfire Tommy Rich, defeated Buddy Landell, Heroes of Wrestling's Dutch Mantel, and the mysterious Dr. X who was later revealed to be a Wesleyan University college student named Ted Mosby. And the babyfaces, that being the JYD and his buddies, became the inaugural WCW six-man tag team champions. Now, folks, I don't mind telling you that I see slash have some problems with this championship right away. You want to talk about makeshift tag teams, okay? If you thought Test and D'Lo Brown was the most makeshift tag team of all time, well, guess what? They have been usurped at the top of the mountain by that first six-man tag team championship group that I just named. There's absolutely zero brand synergy here, folks. The JYD 
has come off a 1990 that saw him, one uh, member of the Dudes with Attitudes with Sting and the Steiners, and he had gotten some championship shots against Flair like a clash. Ricky Morton is one half of a tag team, being the Rock and Roll Express, and at this time, famously, Robert Gibson is injured, so he's got nothing else to do. Wildfire Tommy Rich is fucking Wildfire Tommy Rich. I mean, I expect to see this guy come out first at on Pro Saturday Night or Clash of the Champions or maybe second, and that's about it. Has anyone lived off of a random World Championship title reign longer than Wildfire Tommy Rich? I mean, is there a modern equivalent? I mean, I guess you could say like your Jinder Mahals, who only had like one reign. It was longer than a week, though. Um, I mean, seriously, is there any WWF counterpoint to this? I mean, Yoko was more of an angle because of the shortness. And I guess Taker only had it a couple days uh, this Tuesday when there was no way out of Texas. Uh, but I don't know. Undertaker went on, though, to be like a fucking global megastar. And Yokozuna went on to have actual title reigns as well. So is there a modern-day wildfire Tommy Rich? Hit me up on Twitter at the Johnny C. Let me know what you think. This is off the top of my head. If you don't think anything about it, don't worry about it. Uh, you're better off spending your days thinking about more important things than wildfire Tommy Rich. The heels, to the best of my knowledge, don't have a goddamn anything to do with fucking anything. And the ultimate letdown here, like I said, is that I can't watch this match to figure out if there was any sort of cohesiveness to the bad guys or what have you. Now, I did do some research using the interwebs, looking at house show results, and I will give, uh, what I, and I'm going to call these folks the Junkyard Gang, by the way, to simplify this shit. The Junkyard Gang was rolling around the circuit, sometimes doing six-man matches in preparation of this, and also sometimes doing like tag matches, whether it be JYD in one of the guys, one of the mullets, or maybe both the mullets, or what have you. So there is some cohesiveness there, at least within the Junkyard Gang. So there's no way to watch this. I'm sorry. It's gone forever. But I did promise four matches. So what are these four matches going to be? Well, these four matches will allow us to get a good look at every team that held the gold in 1991. Because, folks, on December 14th, after being activated on February 17th, the titles were deactivated and murdered. There was a little bit of ramblings, according to Wikipedia, about the titles being reactivated in 92, because there was a six-man tag at Beach Blast, I believe. Uh, But you can research that on your own. It didn't actually fucking happen. Of course, we have trios champs in AEW now, so at least I guess that could be the long-lost descendant. So the first match we're going to take a look at will involve the first champions, and it will, uh, like I said, we're going to call them the Junkyard Gang, and it's a defense of the championships, a successful title defense, spoiler alert, uh, because these guys showed up at Wrestle War 91 just a couple of weeks later, or God, just a week later, I think, if you do the math, and this will mark the only time the belts are defended on a WCW pay-per-view right after they were created, so I guess they lost steam pretty fucking quickly. Our next three matches will encompass every time the, ch- the title changed hands. Because there are four teams to have held the gold. The inaugural, and then the three matches we watch after, will allow us to see each team that won the gold. All right? Uh, A lot of title changes, actually, for a a short lifespan, if you think about it that way. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch each match. I'm going to give you the highlights. And I'm going to give you a match grade at the end of of each match, okay? We're going to see how how well these matches held up. I'm going to use my traditional-slash-typical scale... Two and a half stars is your baseline, and you're either going to lose stars or gain stars 
from that. So, if that sounds like interesting, let's dive in to the Sinister Six Man Tag Team Championships of the World. Chapter 1. I don't want a large Farva. I want a goddamn Lyricola. So, like I said, it's February 24th, 1991 at the Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Phoenix, Arizona. It's the opening contest of Wrestle War 91 featuring Sid almost killing Brian Pillman in War Games. Jim Ross and Dusty Rhodes are going to be on the call. Dusty Rhodes is fresh into WCW, hot on the tails of losing to Ted DiBiase and Virgil. And I mean really fresh like he just lost to them with his with his tag team partner if you will the natural of the world Dustin Rhodes at the Royal Rumble 1991 Aqua Cave favorite Gary Michael Capetta thanks for joining us here in the Aqua Cave to introduce the tag teams in our opening contest you're welcome Johnny the first contest in WrestleWar 91 is for the WCW six man tag team championships it is set for one fall Introducing team number one. Yes! Thank you for saying team number one, Gary. You're welcome. Total combined weight, 760 pounds. Ladies and gentlemen, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, Lieutenant James Earl Wright, collectively known as the State Patrol. Their tag team partner from Kansas City, Big Kent. So a couple of notes here on our first team. The State Patrol are basically the American version of the Quebecers, and it makes perfect sense because highway patrolmen are evil. Who else hates getting a ticket when you're driving on the highway because you're the one fucker that got busted out of literally every person that's speeding? And look at those hats that they're wearing. I mean, I hate them more just typing out my notes that they're wearing those fucking State Highway Patrolman hats. Now, Buddy Lee Parker famously would go on to be uh, Goldberg's mentor and tag team partner when Goldberg lost his career in WCW. It happened. All right, it fucking happened. Both of these state highway patrolmen also have serial killer names, I should point out, because they're white males in their 30s, and their names are three items long apiece. Buddy Lee Parker, James Earl Wright. Uh, Breaking news story here, fans. Unfortunately, it appears that two men were arrested in connection with a series of homicides across the tri-state area, Buddy Lee Parker and James Earl Wright. See? (laughs) See? Fucking serial killer names. Big Cat is, of course, Mr. Hughes. He does have the sunglasses walking down the aisle, but they don't have the strap around them, so it doesn't look like he's going to wear them during the contest. And he's not wearing a business suit. He's just wearing normal wrestling tights. Uh Uh-oh, I hear some shitty, twangy country music. So it looks like, Gary, here comes the Junkyard Gang. That is right, Johnny. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, their opponents, they are the WCW six-man tag team champions from Atlanta, Georgia, Wildfire, Tommy Rich, Nashville, Tennessee, Ricky Morton, and from Charlotte, North Carolina, the Junkyard Dog. All right, so all six men in the ring now. Hmm. Wait a minute. Starting to notice a few similarities here between these two teams of three men. Could just be my imagination. Looking a little bit closer now. All right, so there is no way that the Booker was walking around the backstage area and just grabbed three heels that looked 
like the baby faces, right? I mean, it couldn't have been that simple. Uh, let me see here, if you will. Uh, let me see. I need a tag team. I need a tag team. Let me get this three highway patrolman. And then I need somebody. Somebody looking like a junkyard dog. Daddy. Oh, Big Cat. Big Cat, come here. Daddy, it's your time. I want to get you on the pay-per-view. Well, that's great, Dust. Why is that? Are you are you, are you you feeling that I'm very talented here? WWE is the Big Cat. Hmm. Yeah, baby, that's exactly why I want you to wrestle against this other team, if you will. Now, I got you teaming up with the State Highway Patrol, baby daddy, going for the six-man tag team belt of the world. Thanks, Dusty. I appreciate the opportunity. Huh. You know, Dusty, if I'm not mistaken, I'm teaming with these two guys, and, and JYD's teaming Daddy, don't you worry about that at all, big Cadillac, daddy. Tell you what, you win the six-man tag team titles, big cat. I'm going to come back here, I'm going to give you a big kick cat. In your pay bucket, daddy, if you will. So go for those titles, daddy. Also, you're going to lose, by the way. Go on out there and have yourself a match, big daddy cat. Speaking of looking similar, uh, Ricky Morton and Wildfire Tommy Rich make a fucking beautiful couple. All right? I love when lovers get the same haircut. Oh, and by the way, one final note before we get started here with the opening contest. The Junkyard Gang... The WCW six-man tag team champions of the world don't even have fucking title belts. So, the six-man tag team championship defended for the first and only time on pay-per-view. First time they're appearing on television. No fucking belts. Now, there would be belts. Okay, there are belts. I don't know why they don't fucking have any. I mean, it's like they showed up at the house show a week before this and said, Daddy Mac, if you will, let's create some six-man tag team championships of the world, Daddy. Uh, Dusty, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, just Jim Ross here uh, at the booking meeting. Uh, but Dusty, I ain't got no belts to give these guys for the heavyweight championships of the six-man. <laughs> Daddy Mac style, don't matter one bit. I'll make a phone call, Daddy. So, without further ado, let's defend the six-man tag team championships of the world. The bell rings, and we are indeed underway here in Phoenix. Dusty already bringing it on commentary as the babyfaces decide to do some synchronized clapping to help the crowd get into this thing. Well, I'll tell you what, Jimbo, I know that one thing about the junkyard dog and Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton, they loaded, Daddy. They ready to fire. It's on. The heat is on. And if you stay patrol boys with that big cat. Gonna make any moves so the title they're gonna have to get there early because we all fired up here tonight, Daddy. JYD and the Big Cat start. Both apparently played pro and college football. Two rings here tonight, by the way, because it's war games. JR calls this show a tremendous and tremendous opportunity for the fans here tonight. <laughs> Alright. Uh folks, JR and his rookie year here, apparently. The Battle Cat, or the Battle Cat, Jesus Christ. The Big Cat tags out, so of course, the JYD tags out. Hmm. Ricky Morton does some arm drags to Lieutenant Wright. JR calls Morton the head of the gang, or the heart of the gang, because he's a tag team guy. I guess that kind of makes sense. Wildfire Tommy Rich in now, and of course, Dusty makes note that he's a former world champion, baby! The match, thus far, has been all arm drags. Dusty claims he heard that the State Patrol are former patrolmen because they were, quote, arresting people at wheel daddy. So now, unfortunately, 
this heel team makes a bit more sense, if you will. And now, folks, we're back to arm drags. Seriously, take a shot for every arm drag and you're drunk two minutes into this match. Three minutes in, and you need yourself a doctor. JYD is back in now, though, so hopefully your liver will get a little bit of a break from those shots. Get on with the dog! Go on with the daddy! Now the Big Cat is back in. Seriously, guys? Big Cat is from the Big 8 Conference, according to JR. Yay. Should I be impressed? A test of strength between the big and the junk. We are either going to see who is the strongest here or who is the cagiest. And I swear to God, folks, this is important. During the test of strength, Jim Ross lets us know JYD is the one in the white and Big Cat is the one in the red. Are you serious? Because he's not explaining which one Ricky Morton is and which one Wildfire Tommy Rich is because those are the motherfuckers that look like they're goddamn clones of one another. I am not impressed. I am I'm not amused. I'm not I'm not happy, JR. It's unnecessary. Anywho, the JYD gets cagey in this test of strength, and he gets some headbutts in, and of course, the big cat tags out. Uh, you know who JYD looks a little bit like Jimbo? He's getting that haircut. He looks a little bit like Big George Foreman. Big George Foreman with the haircut daddy. It is true. The junkyard dog is freshly shaven. The state patrol does some illegal double teaming, and big surprise, Ricky Morton is the face in peril. All of a sudden, talk turns to more important matters for the evening regarding Ahn Anderson and the War Games. Ricky Morton still in peril. Nice move by uh, Buddy Lee Parker as he catches Morton and hits a hard power slam. Then we get some double-team elbows by the patrol. The Big Cat's in now, so JYD should be in any second. Serious note, the Big Cat is like 83% faster than I've ever seen Mr. Hughes be. I wonder if something happened there, some sort of injury or what have you. It's a triple-team now which is unique to the six-man titles, and I, th I think that's a plus in its favor. Chinlock now by Buddy Lee Parker. Morton dodges a charge as Parker dives into the corner. Buddy Lee Parker tags Lieutenant Wright. Ricky Morton tags the Junkyard Dog. He's got the cards, and now he's ready to deal. Daddy, the Junkyard Dog. Junkyard Dog hits the big thump power slam on Colonel Buddy Lee Parker. One, two, no. Big Cat comes in and kicks the JYD, and uh, JYD breaks up the pin to pursue. All six men enter. Junkyard, Junkyard Dog, like I said, is up to pursue the cat. And about 0.5 seconds, that being 0.5, not 5 seconds, 0.5 seconds after the JYD gets up from the pin, Ricky Morton dives on Buddy Lee Parker. The referee counts. One, two, three. Wow. Now, let's rewind. Let's rewind to the moment that the double tags were made that led to the finish. Buddy Lee Parker tags Lieutenant Wright. Ricky Morton tags the junkyard dog. Dog comes in and he headbutts Wright and then hits the big thump power slam on Buddy Lee Parker that gets the two. All six men are in the ring. Ricky Morton dives on Parker. And the ref immediately does the one, two, three. I was ready 
to give this match the baseline two and a half stars. I really was, and let me explain. It was fine. It was House Show Opener 101. I know it's a pay-per-view, but it's the same rules can apply. And one thing I like about six-man tag team combinations, especially in the opening slot of a match card, is it allows the audience to see a lot of different combinations working together. It seems like a no-brainer for easy entertainment. You add in the fact that Ricky Morton is usually popular and reliable in the ring enough. Junkyard Dog is always super over. And this seems like easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. Ricky Morton getting the pin alone after that pin breakup is unforgivable because the referee just counted a pin with the junkyard dog as the legal man and now all of a sudden Ricky Morton is allowed to pin there are not different rules for the six-man tag team championships of the world because Jim fucking Ross would have beat it into the ground on commentary add in the fact that the wrong patrolman was pinned and this is an unmitigated disaster I am going to deduct a star apiece for each illegal man being part of the finish. Total match rank, half of a star. I'm sorry, but this this is not one of my joke shows, okay? This is a serious show. If Batman, if you watch a Batman movie, and Batman ain't got no superpowers, unless something happens in Act 2 that gives him superpowers, he better not fly like Superman in Act 3, okay? You have to follow the rules of your universe... DC, Marvel, WWE, okay, that's a bad joke, but you have to follow the fucking rules of your entertainment, okay? Like, you have to do that. It's fundamental shit. Come up with a different finish. What a stupid fucking fuck-up. The Junkyard Gang, I gotta tell you guys, you are you are putting a very bad taste in my mouth in regards to this six-man tag team championship configuration chapter two uh fans this match is for wcw six man a uh, handicap tag team world's championship of the world uh yes folks that chapter title was indeed accurate it's time to transport to the main event june 30th 1991 Dangerously close to the historic worst pay-per-view of all time, that being the Great American Bash 1991. JR and Missy Hyatt are in the studio, and they introduce this matchup, and they spoil it right away. They let us know that Ricky Morton, now known as Richard Morton of the York Foundation, bailed on not only the Rock and Roll Express, but also the Junkyard Gang as well. Alexander York had him give up his third of the gold, and refused to participate in this encounter. Missy Hyatt gets all pissed off about this. She's like, oh, I don't like that Alexander York did that. I'm not going to invite her to lunch anymore. JR's like, let's head to the arena. And so we head to the arena for a six-man tag team championship match that is also a handicap match. Now, in this tiny arena, there are no entrances, and we open with a camera shot square on the visage of Big Daddy Dink, Looking like a broke-ass biker. Jim Ross calls him WCW's answer to Sam Kinison. To me, he's the answer to the question, why doesn't Vince McMahon take WCW seriously as competition? Now, I will say, all the championship belts that represent the six-man tag team championship of the world are present, including Richard Morton's. I don't know how the babyfaces got the third belt back, but at least they're front, center, and present for this matchup. 
the Freebirds, that being Michael P.S. Hayes, Jimmy Jim Garvin, and Bad Street make up the opponents. Bad Street, this go-around, is in a purple unicorn-shaped mask. So good for him. The bell rings. We are underway. It's Wildfire Tommy Rich and Michael P.S. Hayes to start. Jim Ross gives us a unique peek into the WCW rulebook. And I quote, uh, Unfortunately, uh, the rulebook does state that unless given a... uh, sufficient notice uh, by the champions, and it has to be agreed upon by the challengers, you cannot substitute in a championship matchup. The birds are double-teaming Wildfire Tommy Rich early. Junkyard Dog gets a blind tag and takes out both of the fabulous free birds and focuses on Jimmy Jam Garvin. Wildfire Tommy Rich stays in the ring, though, and takes on Michael P.S. Hayes. It should be noted, the Junkyard Dog and Jimmy Jam Garvin are the legal combatants Bad Street comes into the ring, kicks the Junkyard Dog. The Junkyard Dog crouches over in pain. Garvin and Bad Street hit a double DDT on the Junkyard Dog. Jimmy Jam Garvin covers. One, two, no, three. What? Wow. Less than two minutes long, and the Junkyard Dog took the pin. I was not expecting to see that. I thought for sure that uh, one of the best parts of Wildfire Tommy Rich being in here was that he's the easy man to eat the fall. JR on commentary, of course, blames Richard Borton for all of this. He says it was basically five on two because he's counting Big Daddy Dink. And Jim Ross is also calling this thing solo like he's Joey Styles. Good for you, JR. Way to get in those reps. We get a replay of the vicious double DDT assault. And Jim Ross says the fabulous Freebirds are now both the United States Tag Team Champions, and the World Tag Team Champions. Because, you know, it's it's the same thing, really. It's the, it is the World Six-Man Tag Team Champions, so he's not wrong, but he's fucking wrong. Uh, this, I mean, I, look, I, this isn't even a match. I don't know what to do here. Like, there's no way in hell I'm giving this two and a half. I'll give this one to be nice, I guess. It's more of an angle to get the belts off since Morton is a heel now. But folks, Jesus Christ, Like the six-man tag team titles have really lost a bit of their luster here early on in their existence. But I have hope that WCW will rebound from this and they'll find a hot babyface trio or a faction or a configuration that makes complete logistical sense, make them the champs, and we'll get this thing back on track. Chapter 3. This shit does not get back on track. It's August 24th, 1991, and we're here for Worldwide Wrestling. Tony Schiavone and Magnum TA are standing in front of a green screen crowd. All right, they let us know that we need to make sure to book a cabin for the WCW Bruise Cruise. Now, fans, I gotta warn you, I advise against this. You run the risk of the Young Pistols and Cactus Jack potentially planting a bomb on the cruise, and if they do plant that bomb, your only hope is that Sting can defuse it before time runs out. For more information on that crazy scenario, check out Issue 3 of Marvel's WCW comic book series. They do tell us, though, that our big six-man title match is underway, so let's get down to the ring. Luckily, they're a little bit wrong. The match proper hasn't started, but the entrances are complete. So once again, the six-man titles getting the movie star treatment here from WCW. It's the Freebirds and Bad Street, our champions defending against the trio that makes complete sense. 
They call him a natural. Natural as can be he. The natural Dustin Rhodes. The Z-Man. And Big Josh. Fuck me sideways. What a... Gotta be the most random assortment of baby faces ever. Well, it's the Big Josh that really throws me off. So, we had the junk... I'm, I'm gonna call these guys the Z-Men for short. Because it's dangerously close to X-Men. And I like that. The bell rings and we are underway. It is confirmed that the championship belts are present for this match. Tony also says it's the featured match of the week. So, okay. That's, that's some good stuff going here. Big Josh and uh, Jimmy Garvin start. Magnum TA calls Big Josh and Bad Street unknown powers in this match. I guess that's the opposite of the allied powers, maybe? Big Josh hits a drop kick, and Tony acts like he just cured cancer. Is Big Josh supposed to be some sort of Eugene character? I don't know, but if he was in 1999 WWF, Concrete Man's Vince McMahon would call him the Big Log Man from the Northwest. He's definitely not clowning around. Uh, Big Josh gets both birds down and carefully walks over both of them like he's crossing a log bridge. Magnum TA calls it the Big Log Roll. Bad Street in the natural now, and the pace quickens. Dustin elbows all three heels. Michael P.S. Hayes now, and he's decided to dance. Jimmy Jam Garvin cheap shots. Dustin Rhodes. Rhodes is outside now, and he's getting double teamed as the babyfaces accidentally distract the ref. Dustin Rhodes is indeed your face in peril. Tony makes a call on commentary and correctly identifies that the fabulous Freebirds are the U.S. and six-man tag team champions. The match is very fast-paced, I will say that, and it is pretty entertaining, so good for them. Dustin Rhodes counters his face in peril with a double bulldog on both Badstreet and Garvin. Hot tag to the Z-Man! Hot tag to the Z-Man! Tony Schiavone with the legendary call, It's the Z-Man! Z-Man hits a double noggin knocker. Tony yells and calls it, The Double Coconuts! It's Bonzo Gonzo as all six men are in the ring. Z-Man and Bad Street are legal, and they're inside. Z-Man is in the corner. Bad Street climbs to the middle rope to execute a middle rope DDT. But Big Josh climbs up and hits a cheap shot. The crowd is nuclear. Z-Man's on the top. Bad Street dazed and confused. All right, all right, all right. Z-Man hits the flying press. One, two, three. New champions! And all of them get a belt. And that is that because the show, that being uh, worldwide, moves on to the next match. So, I I know there wasn't a lot to report here, okay? But I want to assure you that 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 was a really hot match. It was quickly paced, and it was fairly entertaining. Perfectly acceptable. I am going to give them an extra quarter star for keeping up the quick pace. So, two and three quarters. What do you fucking know? Uh, We've done it. We've gotten above two and a half. But wait, didn't the, the title of this chapter insinuate that some negativity was going to continue? It did. And here's why. In all seriousness, the belts continue to be presented as if they are not important. Tony does do a good job of making the title change seem like it's a huge deal. And I like that. But no entrances, yet again, jobbing out the performers. And the match is less than five minutes long. And I know that I lovingly called them the Z-Men. But what's with this trio? It's just so random. You know, the Birds and Bad Street at least made sense. 
I will say, though, at least the match was fun to watch. We know how this eventual story of the tag team titles will end. Oh, boy. So let's see if they can at least finish strong. Can we at least get, a, a you know, some good presentation, some worthy champions? Not that these guys aren't worthy, but something that makes sense so we can make these six-man titles mean something. Because that's that's kind of the biggest sin that we've discovered in this entire project. They just don't mean anything. All right? So maybe, just maybe, some sort of magical trio will come along that will put it all together. Chapter 4. The Dork Foundation. Now, it's the WCW main event of November 10th, 1991. So out with the dog days of summer and in with the turkey tomfoolery of November. I'm watching the main event. And the theme song for that show sounds like it's straight from the hit Sega Genesis game Shadow Dancer, The Legend of Shinobi, and holy shit, I fucking love that game. The Z-Men, of course, are still your WCW Tag Team Champions, and boy oh boy folks, we are coming full circle. The Z-Men will be defending the gold against the York Foundation, finally! An actual stable of three men that have something in common. And I said full circle. What does that mean? The York Foundation, of course, composed of Terrence Taylor, former six-man tag team champion Richard Martin, and former six-man tag team champion Thomas Rich, the computerized team of the 90s. But we do have two former six-man tag team champions in there, now with a new partner. But the story should be, these guys know what it takes to be six-man tag team champs. And it's nice of Thomas Rich to have forgiven Richard Morton as well. The York Foundation comes to the ring with their awesome Dallas ripoff music. Love it, love it, love it. But why is Wildfire Thomas Rich still dressing like a cowboy? And nobody is going to hire Richard Morton with that mullet. Not in the 90s, anyway. Morton forgets that he's a heel, and he does a Rock and Roll Express fist pump when Gary Michael Capetta says his name. Well, folks, here comes the Z-Men with a nice, fantastic WCW variant of money for nothing and the chicks for free. And, and they have the belts! So we've got entrances for both and championship belts. We're already in the best position we've been thus far. Dustin Rhodes has an insane 1990s jacket with a 42 ball on the back as opposed to like an 8 ball. And Tony, on commentary, is flying solo. He mentions it's a return match from last week, and fans, I am not going back to watch it, so oh well. Uh, It looks like Richard Morton is going to be wrestling with chaps on. I guess those are business casual chaps, I suppose. But the bell rings and we're underway. Z-Man and Morton start. We get classic six-man tag team arm drags. Tony makes a bold claim that many people believe the Z-Man will soon become the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Tony is so fucking lucky that Jesse isn't sitting there next to him because Lord knows what types of shit he would give him. Well, you know, the Z-Man's fit to be Mr. Minnesota, Tony, but I don't know about WCW Champion. You think Lois wishes she could fuck a former Mr. Minnesota, Tony? I'm looking at you. You look like a former Mr. Rhode Island, you know, because it's a tiny state. I hear you got a tiny cock, Tony. Is that true? Anyway, a Luthes pressed by the Z-Man gets a two count. 
Rhodes and Taylor are in as illegal men now, and they slow this bad boy down. Dustin works the rooster's arm. Tony notes that Alexander York has her laptop closed, so the computerized strategy of the match must have been decided before the contest began. Tony then wonders aloud if the computer affects the match at all. Wildfire Thomas Rich in now, Big Josh in now as well. Tony starts promoting himself on the WCW hotline in the third person, saying shit like, Well, fans, great new options on the hotline, uh, the Tony Schiavone show featuring Tony Schiavone. Uh, that's me. <laughs> it's pretty great. Big Josh hits a staple of Starman here in the Aqua Cave with Armbar. Tony now promoting trivia questions and hot tips of the week on the hotline. Big Josh and Tommy Rich are really bringing it here for this match, fans, because we get more 1-900 numbers shilling, indicating that Tony had the Yorks on for an interview. So check that out, I suppose. What are those hotline things going to be released to the masses? People would pay for audio files like that. Just, just putting that out there, folks. Big Josh is tagged out, so the match gets a lot better. Dustin Rhodes and the Rooster, uh, that being Terrence Taylor, working it now. Dustin gets tossed outside the ring in York Foundation territory, and it's a patented six-man beatdown. Dustin Rhodes recovers, makes a hot tag to the Z-Man, but the Z-Man is automatically in peril. A future world champ, indeed, Tony. Tony calls a neckbreaker, that move! Z-Man is still in peril, but no, a belly-to-back puts both Z-Man and Terrence Taylor down on the mat. The Z-Man, though, makes a foolish mistake. He doesn't tag. He goes for an ultimate warrior splash, but eats the knees of the computerized man of the chicken coop. Double hot tags. Big Josh is in. Wildfire Thomas Rich in as well. Josh is fighting with all three of the Yorksters, and chaos ensues. Each man finds someone to fight with, but Big Josh is suddenly in the ring alone with Terrence Taylor and Wildfire Tommy Rich. Taylor has the computer. Rich is holding Big Josh. Big Josh ducks, and Terrence Taylor makes Thomas Rich eat the computerized computer of the 90s. Tommy Rich blades! Good God! Thomas Rich is bleeding for the six-man tag team championships of the world! Seriously! He's fucking bleeding! Big Josh is concerned that his former friend, Thomas Rich, which Tony has put over on commentary before this event, uh, is bleeding, and, and Big Josh is worried about him, so he goes to check on him. The computerized man sneaks in with the computerized computer, nails Big Josh, Thomas Rich, the legal man, thank God, makes the cover. One, two, three, new champions! The Yorks celebrate. Thomas Rich is still bleeding for our sport and for our entertainment here on the WCW main event. The show goes to a commercial, and the curtain closes on the six-man tag team gold. The match was good enough. Basic six-man formula. Nothing to write home about in a good way, but nothing to complain about in a bad way. It was slow when you expected, good when you expected. I'm going to go your baseline two and a half. The York Foundation rides into the sunset. <gasps> And so the WCW six-man tag team championships, allegedly one of the belts at least in Tony Schiavone's attic. So I don't know. This final six-man tag team title change did get a little bit of a boost in the presentation. This last match was about nine minutes long. We did get full entrances with music and the belts were present. Now look. Yes, 
it's silly to note those things as positive. But let's not forget how we started this journey, okay? That's why those little things matter. Plus, an actual trio finally has the gold, and we got blood on WCW Weekly Television? I mean, it seems like the titles are really in a better spot, heading upwards from where they've been this entire time. Uh, But of course, this didn't end up being the first step in the right direction. It was the last hoorah. And speaking of last hoorahs, that is going to conclude our deep dive into the WCW six-man tag team championship belts. Clearly, and I say this as a person with red hair, clearly the red-headed stepchild of WCW titles. I mean, I think the Cruiserweight Tag Team Championships at least get remembered better than these. If for nothing else, there were only like two matches, they were decent, and they were featured on the very last Nitro. So, it, I was going to say all's well, ends well, but how about all ends that ends, I suppose. I can't think of anything funnier or more entertaining. But, if you want to talk about things that are entertaining, I want to do a really cheap shill here for you folks. I hope you've enjoyed this program, Bright Man, here in the Aqua Cave. But since we're in the Halloween season, I want to let you know that we're going to have a few more frequent drops on the Aqua Cave podcast feed. It's our new show that's a limited show running up until Halloween called Reading Canebow, Reading Canebow, where we actually read the fantastic novelization of the backstory of the Cane undertaker and paul bear characters so back in the early 2000s the wwf commissioned a guy to write a book that would make kane undertaker and paul bear make sense as if they were actually like characters that you know were once kids and had lives and decided to become kane and the undertaker and really were half brothers and paul bear really fucked kane's mom and it's ridiculous, and it talks about it as it's serious, as if it was serious and really happening. And I do read the chapters, which is why we call it Reading Canebow. I mean, it's a fun throwback, nostalgic title. But I do throw in a little bit of remixes here and there to keep the bad boy street legal. So, if that sounds like fun, check it out. And the best way to get notified when new episodes of anything or Reading Canebow drops here in the Aqua Cave is to subscribe maybe even share with your buddies and folks thanks for tuning in to bright man as always i'm johnny c and a winner is you